So we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, working our way through this Gospel. So please turn there this morning, chapter 13. Probably a very familiar passage if you are a Bible reader. Great passage of Scripture. In fact, in chapter 13, as we get into it this morning, we, uh, we've already covered a few parables in the book of Matthew, but we get into sort of a section now where Jesus begins to sort of intensively teach in parables. So as we turn there, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 23 together this morning and just ask the Lord to bless us. So here we go. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and uh, did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground 
is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word, and may you grant understanding to us, your servants, as we listen. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. We ask you to speak, and we ask that our hearts, Lord, as this parable so clearly says, our hearts are the soil. And the word that we just read, and the word that we read when we open it, that is the seed. And so may our hearts be the right kind of soil for the seed this morning. And Lord, as we worship you, we've worshiped in song, we worship you in our giving, we worship you in giving you our attention. Lord, would you bless the offerings this morning? Would you bless our hearts to receive your word? And would you cause our hearts to be that fourth soil, to be the kind that bears fruit unto your name, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this parable, in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, 19 times we find the word hear. So hearing is very important. In fact, Jesus says at the end of this first section, to him who has an ear, let him hear. And so if you have an ear this morning, then you can hear, but you know your physical ears are just part of it. The hearing that Jesus is calling upon us to have is the hearing of understanding, the hearing of a heart that's willing to receive. The parallel passages you may want to write down for your benefit because we will refer to them this morning in Matthew 13 are also Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 and Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 18. And it's always interesting to go and to read these parallel accounts and to see what other things they bring out and we will go and visit those along the way this morning. But we uh, come to verse 1 of chapter 13, and it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Uh, Remember, the chapter divisions came in much later. And so as we go back and we read the things that we covered even last week, Jesus was busy. He was busy healing people. He was busy teaching. He was busy interacting. And then he had a very strong and stern interaction with the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he spoke to them in a rather harsh manner. And so he had been teaching uh, outside, and then he moved inside, and he was in a house. Now he's going back outside. So on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And there were so many people following that what he did at that point is he got into a boat, and he had it pushed out a little way, and all the people stayed on the shore so that they could hear what Jesus was saying. Now, People wonder, did the people sit down, and was that sort of like a natural amphitheater kind of a situation uh, there on the, the shore of Galilee, and it likely was. Uh, some have suspected that the people uh, stood while Jesus sat. Jesus was regarded as a rabbi, and it was the tradition of the rabbis to sit and teach while the people actually stood and listened to him. If that's the case, um, you know, then certainly they had, there was a large crowd of people standing there while Jesus sat in the boat. Regardless of the scene, the scene was such that there were so many people there that they, uh, Jesus needed to get into a boat and allow the waters to sort of act as his megaphone to push his words across the waters to their ears. 
Now, lest we get into too many things that are physical in nature, you know, we have microphones today and sound systems, but of course, uh, we didn't have that for many, many years. You know, the Lord can get his word to people. He can get it to his people any way he wants. No doubt, as Jesus taught in these venues, in these situations, people heard, they were quiet, they were listening intensely. It's reported of Charles Spurgeon that he was, had gone to this large auditorium to speak that sat thousands of people, but of course, again, no sound systems in those days. And as he went in to uh, check out his venue before the people arrived, he was standing there looking around. And as he was, he wanted to test out the acoustics, knowing, of course, they would change once the place filled up with bodies. But he wanted to see how much he was going to have to project. And so as he stood there, he just sort of said at sort of different uh, volume levels, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it just so turned out that there was a janitor up in the balcony on the third level cleaning Um, And he heard those words from Spurgeon and dropped to his knees and gave his life to Christ in that moment. So even in that moment, as that man was up on that third level listening uh, unwittingly, Spurgeon not knowing he was there just, you know, saying these things, even there the word of God reached this man's heart. Uh, Back in the day when uh, the first and the second great awakening were happening, there were preachers who went about and taught And, of course, they often taught from horseback or they taught from the back of a wagon. It's reported that often George Whitfield might speak to as many as 30 to 60,000 people. That's how many people would gather in these, these fields and in these pastures. And on one such occasion, he got up to speak, and there were literally 60,000 people. This is documented in history. And as he got up to speak, he was feeling a bit weak and, you know, it takes a lot out of you to speak with such volume for such a period of time. And as he began to speak, uh, you know, the people got quiet, but the people in the back couldn't hear him. And so he said, let's pause and wait for a moment until the Lord gives me an anointing from on high to be able to speak. And so he paused and prayed and the people prayed with him. And it's reported that when he began to preach, every single ear could hear him. Certainly the Lord's anointing was on our Lord Jesus. And so as Jesus began to teach, the people listened and he spoke many things to them in verse 3. And he spoke to them in parables and he began to say in this parable, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now the word parable means, it's made up of two Greek words, para to come alongside and balo or baleo to cast alongside. So you're taking something that's known and casting it alongside a spiritual truth to draw a comparison so that people can connect the dots so that they can understand. Uh, in, in many ways of understanding, this is a divine spiritual illustration. It's a story or a comparison that is put along something else to help make the lesson clear, but these are not ordinary parables. Jesus called them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In the New Testament, a mystery is a spiritual truth understood only by divine revelation, and that is a sacred secret known only to those for whom the Lord wants to understand, and it's for those who will learn from the Lord and obey him. So Jesus knows the hearts of the listeners. 
And so as he begins this parable, he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow, something that's probably not as common in our day. But they would take a bag of seed and put it on their side. And depending if you're a right-handed or left-handed, they would, and if you've ever done this, I did this as a kid. My grandfather had a garden. You would reach into the seed sack and sow it in such a manner. And so it's reported that it takes about 60 pounds of seed to sow an acre of land. That may sound like a lot to you, but as we get into this story and we learn about weeds and thorns, uh, it's been reported that there are as many as 3,000 pounds worth of weed seed already mixed into the soil. Almost seems unfair, doesn't it, to sow 60 pounds of seed to get the crop that you want, but that's going to compete with 3,000 pounds of weed seed. But let's let the parable sort of bear that out for us. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. So if you will, picture in your mind a large field and people would not travel through the fields as of, of other people's uh, you know, harvest, but what they would do would be travel around the edges, around the corners. And so if, there was a, if your field happened to be somewhere that people needed to get from point A to point B and your field was on that journey, there would be paths around the perimeter of the field so that people could travel. So as he sowed here, he's, he's talking about the person who would go and just go out to the field and just begin to sow the seed. Seems a little backwards to our mind because today agriculturally we go out, we took, we Uh, plow the field, we till it, we get all the stones out, we try to get all the garbage out and get it as good as we can get it, so that when we plant that seed, that it has a good soil to yield the fruit. But in that day, of course, they didn't have those things, and so they had to do what they had to do. So they would take the seed and just walk around that field and just sow it liberally and just throw it everywhere in hopes that there would be a crop that would grow up and provide a good produce. So as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, meaning on the path, the hard ways. And the birds came and devoured them. And we find in Luke's gospel that he said of this same verse here, uh, when the sower went out to sow his seed and some fell by the wayside, it says, and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Of course, if the seed fell on the path and people were traveling, they would walk on that seed, they would trample it, it would go underfoot. And it said the birds devoured them, which means to eat up or consume. So it fell in a place where the birds could easily find it. In verse 5, it says, Some of the seed fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. So this is, in our understanding, especially here in New Hampshire, we understand this, there was ledge or rock just underneath the soil. And the soil would have just maybe a few inches of soil on top, or perhaps if you've ever gone hiking, and as you're hiking up a mountain and you see little cups or pockets of rock, and there's dirt in there, and you'll see like a little plant growing. But that little plant is all that can grow there. It's not something that can bear fruit because uh, just underneath it is rock. And so there's no place for it to sink down its roots. There's no nutrients in that soil because whatever has grown there in the past for however short a time has already depleted that soil of the nutrients. And it says when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. So the sun 
burned them, it scorched them, it tortured them with intense heat, and it says they withered or they dried up and shriveled away. In verse 7, some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And again, in Mark's gospel, it says, and some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So the thorns were a plant with prickles. They sprang up or they popped up quickly, and they choked, meaning they stifled or suffocated that plant. And so the plant had no chance to grow. In verse 8, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Mark again said, the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up. And he adds this, and it increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Interestingly, the good ground, the word good means beautiful or excellent or worthy, honorable, precious, complete or balanced. So in other words, this was good soil. And then it says it yielded. And the word yielded is a verb. It's an action word. And it means to give, to supply, to furnish a bountiful harvest. And then Jesus says, in concluding the parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now imagine that you're a hearer on that day listening to Jesus teach this parable. And after he taught this parable, you've gone away. And all you've had is that for your understanding. Now we cut back to the scene where Jesus is with his disciples alone. And in verse 10, the disciples came and they said to him, Jesus, why are you speaking to the people in parables? And he answered and he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This can be a little troubling, can't it, as we think about this, that there are some who are not going to hear and understand the things of the Word of God. And we say, but why, Lord? Well, he's going to explain in a moment the why. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So as we get into this, he's not talking about material things. He's not talking about money. He's talking about an understanding of the Lord, an understanding of the word of God. We're going to find out in a moment that Jesus will interpret this parable for us. He will explain it to us in a crystal clear manner so that we will understand that the seed is indeed the word of God and that the sower is the person who is willing to take the word of God and to sow it into the hearts of people. The soil is the hearts of people. And we know that as Jesus begins to explain this, and he quotes this prophecy here from the book of Isaiah, that he's speaking specifically of Israel and how they had had the prophets for many years. They had people coming specifically to speak the word of God to them over and over and over We can look in the Old Testament, we can see the prophets, uh, Zechariah and Jeremiah and Hosea and uh, Daniel, all of the prophets that God brought along to speak to his people. He, He brought prophets to speak to his people before he judged his people and took them away to Babylon in the 70 years of captivity. He had prophets who spoke to them in their captivity. He had prophets who spoke to them after their captivity. 
And he, had, he always has had people bringing his word to people. And we know that uh, since the days of the New Testament, since the day uh, the church was born, God has always had people bringing the word to his people. So those who hear, those who understand, those who have a heart to go after the Lord, they have a, a heart for the Lord. Those are the ones who understand and more will be given and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. For those who don't want to hear, we'll explain this more as we go. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus did not teach in parables to confuse or to condemn the people. Rather, he sought to excite their interest and arouse their curiosity. These parables would give light to those with trusting, searching hearts, but they would bring darkness to the unconcerned and the unrepentant. In other words, people might have walked away from hearing those parables going, that was a cute story. That was neat. And then that, that was it. That's all they walked away with. Jesus says in verse 14, And then them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. And there's the issue. That's the issue with this parable. The hearts of people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. I trust this morning that all of us know at least one person, if not many people, whom this would describe. People who cannot hear spiritual things. You talk about the word of God. You talk about the truth of God. You mention the name of Jesus, and people turn away. They don't want to hear it. And he says that they're hard of hearing. Their eyes are closed, they should, lest they should see with their eyes. That's interesting, isn't it? See with their eyes. Hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. You see, it's a total package kind of a deal. It's not just a hearing. It's not just a seeing. It's not just an understanding. It seems that it takes all three to work in the heart of a person. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. God had sent many prophets and righteous men to preach his word. And as he did that, they desired to see, and this is always the desire of the heart of a, of a preacher or someone who's communicating truth to others. You don't have to be, quote, a preacher. The, pre, the term preacher just means someone who is a proclaimer or a heralder of the truth. Any one of you can be a preacher. We're not talking about the vocation. We're talking about someone who shares the truth. Every preacher desires to see people hear and understand and receive and respond to the word of God. And he says here in verse 18, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. So now Jesus is going to explain it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, 
Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Mark's gospel says in a bit of a different way, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, he says, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Luke says the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And he goes on to say the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So this hard path, this hard soil, or if you will, the hardened heart, this is a person clearly who does not believe. This is a person who is not saved. Luke makes that clear, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, I want to point out something to you this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the word of God is the seed. And we know from horticulture and from biology that people have found seeds in ancient digs, ancient um, archaeological sites, and they've taken that seed and planted it, and it's been sitting in pyramids or wherever they found it for thousands of years, and they found it and planted it, pushed it in some dirt, put some water on it, and it grew. And the DNA or the software that God put inside of it, it began to do what it was supposed to do. How much more so the Word of God? The Word of God is living and powerful. You see, God's Word cannot be restrained. Romans 10 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as Jesus explains this parable, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and they don't understand it, then we know the wicked one, Satan himself, the devil, has come and snatched away that seed. Now remember in the parable, he said, the birds come and they snatch away the seed. That's important for us to remember because as we go further, those birds are going to come back and, the, and we have this thing in under our understanding of Scripture called the principle of expositional constancy, whereas Jesus says here the birds represented Satan and his evil emissaries. Later, we're going to find out that as he uses the birds, it's, there's going to be a couple of troubling analogies that come up. And so keep that in the back of your mind as we continue to go through chapter 13 here next week. So the devil comes, he takes away, he snatches away the word, and it says that the birds had devoured up, they ate up, they consumed the seed, they snatched it away. Whatever was sown there on that soil, it was taken away. Wherever the word of God is preached or expounded, and the people are assembled to hear it, the sayings of our Lord in this parable are found to be true. It describes what goes on as a general rule in all congregations. So I believe this applies not just sharing the word with people or sharing the gospel, but anytime the word of God is preached and proclaimed. This is what happens. If you ever want to go further or maybe read something interesting, I love this man, J.C. Ryle. He was uh, 
part of what we affectionately call the dogs, the dead old guys, who uh, back in the day, this was long before we had anything, had electricity, any of those things. These are the men who woke up every morning and by candlelight read their Bibles. He wrote this, like the sower, the preacher must be diligent. And again, preacher can be any of us. He must spare no pains. He must use every possible means to make his work prosper. He must patiently sow beside all waters and sow in hope. He must be ready in season and out of season. He must not be deterred by difficulties and discouragements. He who watches the wind will not sow. Quoting from Ecclesiastes. Meaning, you know, we're always looking at the sign. Oh, isn't it? It's not a good day today. He's like, no, no, you just go out and you sow. The seed is the word of God. Let it fall where it may. Uh, let's see. He who watches the wind will not sow. No doubt his success does not entirely depend upon his labor and diligence. But without labor and diligence, success will seldom be obtained. Like the sower, the preacher himself or herself cannot give life. He can scatter the seed committed to his charge, but he cannot command it to grow. He may offer the word of truth to a people, but he cannot make them receive it or bear fruit. To give life is God's sovereign prerogative. It is the Spirit who gives life, and God alone causes the growth. Let these things sink down into our hearts. It is no light thing to be a real minister of God's word. To be an idle, formal workman in the church is an easy business. To be a faithful sower is very hard. Preachers ought to be specially remembered in our prayers. Sowing the word of God, that's what we're called to do. That's what every pastor is called to do. In the calling to shepherd the flock, the pastor is called to sow the seed of the word into the lives and the hearts of of people. Let us learn from this passage that there are various ways of hearing the word of God without benefit. We may listen to a sermon with a heart like the hard wayside, careless, thoughtless, unconcerned. Christ crucified may be affectionately set before us and we may hear of his sufferings with utter indifference as a subject in which we have no interest. Fast as the words fall on our ears, the devil may pluck them away, and we may go home as if we had not heard anything at all. In verse 20, Jesus goes on and says, But he who received the the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So this person actually received the word. They heard it, and it says that it received, uh, it produced joy. And it says, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So again, looking at Mark's gospel, he says, afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So the idea here is, when the word of God falls in the soil of this heart, this person immediately has a response. There's this sort of knee-jerk reaction, and there's this joy, and there's this, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How come nobody ever told me this? And then as they respond, 
And they begin to make, perhaps to tell others even of what happened. As soon as a little bit of persecution comes, and in the parable it's indicated by the scorching heat of the sun, as soon as that little bit of persecution arises because of the word, immediately they stumble. And so you find out right away they also are not believers because it, 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 they stumble. They, uh, the, the word can't take any tribulation. The word can't take any testing. In this situation, as we read it, there's nothing mentioned of fruit. The truth has taken no root in their hearts. And it really didn't take much to cause them to fall away. And there's a great measure for us, you know, as believers in Christ. Let me ask the question this morning, just looking at this particular soil. And I, tr- I trust in faith that you're all believers in Christ this morning. If not, then I, I trust that you will be by the time we close this message. And that the word of God is working. But when a little bit of persecution comes, do we shy away? Do we kind of go, well, then I'm just not going to say anything anymore. I I don't want to upset the apple cart. You see, folks, we can't be silent. It's not possible that we should not say anything. If the word of God is truly in our hearts, as we'll see, excuse me, when we get to the fourth soil, it is impossible not to have the ability to say something. He says... Uh, One commentator said, again, speaking of this soil, the the soil that has no root, truth seems to have no effect on their hearts. No more effect than water on a stone. We may listen to a sermon with pleasure while the impression produced on us is only temporary and short-lived. Our hearts, like the rocky ground, may yield a plentiful crop of warm feelings and good resolutions. But all this time, there may be no deeply rooted work in our souls. And the first cold blast of opposition or temptation may cause our seeming religion, and whenever the old writers use the word religion, they're talking about faith, to wither away. In verse 22, Jesus goes on and he says, Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becomes unfruitful. Mark says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So I believe clearly in the first two soils that the way that seed fell and the way it germinated or didn't germinate to me indicates that those people are not believers, but in the soil number three here, the one that fell among the, the thorny soil, it would seem that these are believers, but I think we could probably describe these, these Christians as, at the very least, frustrated believers, people in whom the word has taken root, but the, the fruitfulness of the word is being choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, I want you to hold your finger here and turn over with me over to Luke chapter 10. And while you're turning there, 
we see that the thorns have choked it out, that they sprang up or they popped up quickly. So it would seem that as the word began to grow in this person's life or these people's lives, that in like manner, uh, the, the opposition came up. The, these weeds popped up quickly and they matched the growth of the word and they choked it. That means they stifled or suffocated it out and they took all the nutrients away. Now, if you're a gardener, you know that if you have two plants that you're trying to get something from in a garden uh, to yield a fruit or a crop, but you plant them too closely together, they will starve each other of the nutrients. And that's what happened here in this field. As the, the weeds were there, they grew up right next to and intertwined their roots with the roots of the good wheat or the good crop. So... He says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word. What is he talking about? Luke chapter 10. Hopefully I'm in the right place here. At the end of chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him uh, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she approached him, that is Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So we know in this familiar story, the two sisters, Martha and Mary, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was worried and troubled about many things. And the first thing she was worried about is she pointed the finger at her sister, quote, sitting there doing nothing at the feet of Jesus. She said, Lord, she should get up and help me. You're a guest in our house and we have nothing to feed you. I'm in there slaving. Lord, do you see the sweat on my brow? I'm trying to prepare a meal for you. And she's sitting there not doing anything. And Jesus says, no, she's chosen the better part sitting at my feet, listening. Turn back to Matthew's gospel, but this time go all the way back to chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Uh, For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What are 
the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. And it's, as Mark said, the desires for other things entering in. I think it's these things that we've just read about. Does this mean that we shouldn't work? Of course not. Does this mean we shouldn't be responsible? Of course we should be responsible. The word in other places tells us about the responsibility of work. But you see, there's a heart here. There's an attitude. And see, once the gospel enters our life, once the word of God enters our life, and it begins to take root, we have a new vision. We have a new mission. We have a new focus. And that focus is our relationship with Jesus. You know, we talk often using the term, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And you see, our relationship with Jesus becomes the most important thing to us. It becomes the most important relationship. More important than your, who you're married to. More important than your kids. More important than your parents. Yes, it's the relationship that supersedes all relationships. And so when the Word of God comes into our life, it recalibrates us. We have new eyes. We now have spiritual eyes. We have new ears. We have spiritual ears. And we have a heart that once was dead to the things of God that's now alive to the things of God. We now have the Spirit of God living within us. But when we allow the cares of this world and and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things to come in, it says clearly here that they choke the word and the word becomes unfruitful. Now, perhaps we've all been through phases in our life where this might describe us. But I think with great sadness that this describes the vast majority of the church of Jesus Christ today. Let me draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, certainly there was no faith in soil number one and soil number two. But in soil number three, the the thorny soil, there was faith. But our faith has gotten choked out by these things, the worries, the cares of the world, the desire for other things. Again, J.C. Ryle, we may listen to a sermon and approve every word of it and every word it contains and yet get no good from it in consequence of the absorbing influence of this world. Our hearts are, are like the thorny ground, may be choked with the noxious crop of cares, pleasures, and worldly plans. We may really like the gospel and wish to obey it, and yet insensibly give it no chance of bearing fruit by allowing other things to fill a place in our affections and insensibly to fill our whole hearts. Alas, there are many such hearers. They know the truth well, and they hope one day to be a dedicated, committed Christian. But they never come to the point of giving up all for Christ's sake. They never make up their minds to seek first his kingdom. You see, this is where so many of us live, and this is not where God wants us to live, but let's continue on. But he who receives uh, received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word 
and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Mark's gospel says, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. And in Luke's gospel, he says, these are the words who heard, the ones who heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So this is the soil on which the seed, the word of God has fallen, and it has taken root. There's no weeds. There's no choking out of the fruitfulness of God's word. This heart is a good heart. It has good ground. It's beautiful. It's excellent. It's worthy. It's ripe to receive the word. When it says it yielded, it's a verb again, saying that something's happening in our lives, that there is a fruit coming forth from our lives. There is a bounty. There's a harvest. When it says hears and understands, it's referring to paying attention, to considering, to comprehend, to take action based on what was heard. Years ago, uh, one of the companies I worked in, I, as I walked in the door of the company as a manager, I inherited a small group of people. And there was this, this one man in my group, his name was Kevin, was a wonderful man, very kind man. But every time I would sit and talk with Kevin, he never wrote anything down. Never had a pen, never had a pad of paper. And so one day I questioned him on this. I said, so Kevin, I mean, why is it that you never write anything down? Oh, no, it's all up here. I got it. I got it. Like, okay. So what did we talk about last week? Uh, Okay. From now on, I want you to bring a pad of paper and a pencil. And I want you to write things down uh, because we have, we have a job to do, right? There's things that you need to get done. And you may remember half of them, and that's good. I commend you for that. But I want you to remember 100%. And I want you to pay attention. Now, if in our workplaces we have to pay attention and we have to write things down. Listen, I can't survive without writing things down. My mind I, is like a sieve. Uh, it's not an elephant's mind. It's mine like, instead of a steel trap, my mind's like a steel sieve. It just lets everything go through. I need to write things down. And you know as well as I that anytime you've become excited about learning something and you want to know and you want to grow in that area, in that area of knowledge, you take notes. You might say, but I'm not a note taker. Well, then you're not going to grow. It's pretty simple. And I would like to encourage you with this. If you have the desire to understand and to grow in the word of God, the seed has fallen into your heart, then I would like to suggest to you this morning that you might want to start writing things down, writing down your prayers, writing down the things that you learn when you read God's word. I I hope and I pray, and we're going to get to this in a moment, that you are reading God's word on a regular basis, allowing the seed to continue to fall in and till up the soil of your heart. Because he said here he wants us to bear fruit. In other words, our lives should be fertile for God to produce, to make manifest, to make a thing out of something. In other words, our lives should bring forth fruit. One author said fruit is the test of true salvation. You see, fruit is the evidence that we are saved. 
The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A desire to serve the Lord in some way. By serve the Lord, we're not talking about you quit your job and go into ministry. That may be, that could be a calling. But where we are, you see, where God has us planted is where we serve him. Whatever we have the skill to do and and the, the mindset to do, and we do that, we do it with all of our heart. The word says in many places, Colossians chapter 3 is one. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than unto men. You see, our our workers, our bosses, and our subordinates, and our fellow employees can see our lives. God has placed us there to be a light, Paul said in the book of Philippians, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Our lives are to bear fruit for the glory of God. We are not bearing fruit for our glory. We're bearing fruit for his glory. The fruit is evidence that Jesus has come into our lives, that our lives have been changed. In the last place, let us learn from this parable that there is only one evidence of hearing the word rightly, and that evidence is to bear fruit. The fruit here spoken of is the fruit of the Spirit, of repentance towards God, of faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. It produces a holiness in our lives and in our character, a prayerfulness, a humility, a charity, or a love, a spiritual mindedness. These are the only satisfactory proofs that the seed of God's word is doing its proper work in our souls. Without such proofs or fruit, our religion is vain, however high our profession may be. It is no better than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Christ has said, I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit. There is no part of the whole parable more important than this. We must never be content with a barren orthodoxy or a cold maintenance of correct theological views. We must not be satisfied with a clear knowledge or warm feelings or a decent profession. We must see to it that the gospel we profess to love produces positive fruit in our hearts and lives. This is real Christianity. Those words of James should often ring in our ears, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Let us not leave these verses without putting to ourselves the important question, how do we hear? We live in a Christian country. We go to a place of worship Sunday after Sunday. We hear sermons. In the spirit, do we truly hear those sermons? Do we hear the word of God? What effect have they upon our characters and upon our heart? Can we point to anything in our lives that deserves the name fruit? John 15, I'll have you turn over there this morning. It's the last place we'll go on our little excursion. So in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now what that's talking about in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What that means is he, he lifts it up from the ground. 
in the, the care of the vineyard in the early first century, they didn't have all the things that we have today, the trellises and all those things. So often the vines would actually grow along the ground. And you would find that they would put rocks and sticks and stumps and other things to lift the vine up off the ground so that it would bear fruit. And so when the husbandman or the vine dresser <clears throat> would come along and he would see his vine and he would come to a section that's not bearing fruit, it says, when it says he takes it away, which is a poor translation, it's saying he lifts it up. In other words, with care he comes and he lifts it up off the ground and he puts something underneath it to get it up so that it can get the, the, the light of the sun. And it can get the rain without, you know, when it rains, the, the rain would splash the dirt and it would cover the fruit. And he wants the rain to wash the fruit. So anything that's not bearing fruit, a.k.a. the third soil, he takes away, he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, he trims it back so that it might do a better job of bearing more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, I would point you to soil three. When you're being choked out by the worries and the cares of the world, you cannot bear fruit of yourself. You're off on your own. You're sort of a lone ranger Christian. It cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. You've got to stay connected to the vine, stay close to the source of life. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This is soil number four. If you read down just a little bit further in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus said the word is the word of God. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. This is what proves we are his disciples, the fruit in our lives. Now, we could go on and read this whole passage here, and uh, it's a great passage, but in, down in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. This is soil number four. And that your fruit should remain. In other words, our fruit wouldn't, be here today and gone tomorrow, our fruit should remain. Our fruit will produce more fruit. You see, the seed of the fruit, once it has been harvested and eaten or used, there's seed that's left over from that. That seed now gets planted to become more fruit. Someone said that if you take uh, one ear of corn and you take one grain of corn, one kernel of corn off of that corn, and you plant it in a field, and you keep planting it over and over and over. Every time that one, that one kernel of corn now yields a plant that may yield something like six or eight ears of corn. Now you take all of those kernels and you keep replanting them. As soon as they harvest, you replant them. That's somewhere within the span of just a few years, 30 or 40 years, if you kept doing that, literally, you didn't eat it, but you just kept harvesting it, taking that corn, and then replanting it, that within that period of 30 to 40 years, you could literally cover the face of the earth. That just shows you the power of the seed, the power of harvest and replanting the seed. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, I want you, Timothy, to find faithful men whom you can teach, and in turn, they will teach others also. 
And so it is for us. You see, this is a part of the fruit of our lives, not just that we have the seed and that it's bearing fruit in our lives, but that fruit should be spilling over into the lives of those around us, our family, our friends, anyone who will listen. Hey, we'll, we'll preach to a lamppost if it has a heart so that it can bear fruit unto the name of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, the parable of the sower and the soils. The sower is the one who speaks the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The soils are the hearts of of people. And the question this morning is, which soil are you? Are you soil number one that's a hard heart that the seed keeps falling on it, but the devil keeps snatching it away and it never germinates, it never takes root? Are you that soil? Are you soil number two where there seems to be sort of an excitement and a giddiness and there's this, this sudden burst of energy and maybe even a little bit of joy, but there's no depth. And so the, the word is never taken root. Or are you soil number three where it's fallen in that field that was fertile, fertile enough for weeds and good seed to grow in, but the, 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 the weeds choked out the fruitfulness of the word, the worries, the cares of the world, the desires for other things. You might say, how do I deal with that? If I, that's where I am, how do I deal with those things? I would say to you, go back and read John 15, which we just did. And say, Lord, show me how to draw near to you. Show me how to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, which we read in Matthew chapter 6. Show me, Lord, how to follow you where I am. Lord, how do you take me as I am, where I am, and how do I grow? How do I bear fruit for your name? And God will show you these things. He will... For that eager, seeking heart, remember parables uh, reveal to those who need to, to see it and conceal from those who don't have a heart to see it. And I believe the Lord wants every heart to be that fruitful ground. Like soil number four. That bears fruit, and there's an increase, 30, 60, 100 fold. Think of the hundredfolds. I think of the people God's used over the years to preach the word and people got saved. What an amazing thing when that happens. But you see, after we get saved, after the, the seed of the word takes root in our hearts, someone has to come alongside and become the gardener and nurture that seed. And that should be the Lord. But you see, this is why we need the church. This is a part of the fruit that comes in our lives. Once we become a believer in Christ, we need to get involved in a local fellowship. As we mentioned earlier, Acts 2.42. The breaking of bread together, fellowship. You see, we need the fellowship of like-minded believers because we all have the seed and we're all desiring to, the seed to bear fruit in our lives. And you want to rub shoulders with those kinds of people. So that that encouragement of what God's doing in their life might become an encouragement in my life and vice versa. So we cannot neglect the assembling of ourselves together. That's so important. And I can tell you one big lesson I learned through this whole pandemic is that these doors will never be closed again. Every Sunday we're going to be here. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens with the new variants of COVID that are coming out. We're going to be here. Because if a hospital needs to be open and that serves the physical needs of people, the church is the spiritual hospital to the people. And we are to be here proclaiming the word of God, bringing forth fruit in the name of Jesus. Let there be fruit. 
in our lives. And I hope and I pray this morning that you want to be soil number four. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, we bless you. Lord, may we be that fourth soil. And if we find ourselves anywhere else, I pray this morning that this will become the moment where it flips for us. If we're soil one or two, Lord, then right now we just want to give our hearts to you. We want to come and say, Lord, I want to be that good soil. Lord, let your word, the gospel of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who came and gave his life for me to purchase my forgiveness, my salvation, so that I could have a relationship with you, so that I could come and be with you in heaven forever and ever. Lord, that's what I want. And if that's you this morning, I'd ask you to just simply speak to the Lord, invite him into your life, and say, Lord, save me, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will do that for you instantaneously. For those of us this morning who perhaps are Uh, choked by the worries and the cares of the world, may we just confess those things before the Lord and repent and just say, Lord, I want to be that good soil. Let's not dwell in soil number three. Let's run towards soil number four. Lord, that we might be that kind of soil where you can do something good, where there would be fruit that would come forth from our lives. And until the day we die, even on our deathbed, Lord, that your name might be upon our lips. And that those around us might desire to know you and to grow. Lord, may we be life and light and love to the world around us, to the people around us. May at the end of the day, Lord, if our lives were to end right now and our funeral were to be given, may the people who come up and speak, speak the words of Christ. The person loved the Lord and their, their life was an inspiration to me. Lord, let that be the fruit of our lives. These are lofty things, but nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too great for you, God. With men, these things are impossible, but with you, nothing is impossible. If you can save a soul, if you can produce fruit from the worst soil, Lord, then you can do anything. Do it in my life. Do it in our lives this morning. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we want to love you more. May we be that good soil in Jesus' name. Amen.